Each year, more than 200,000 patients do not receive surgical valve replacement due to excessive risk factors, refusal of surgery, and comorbidities. Percutaneous aortic valve replacement, a less invasive option, could provide the life-saving treatment your patient needs. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a ReachMD special series exploring heart health. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Ted Feldman, Professor of Medicine at Northwestern University Medical School and Director of the Cardiac Catheterization Laboratory and Interventional Cardiology Chair at Evanston Northwestern Healthcare. Dr. Feldman is also the co-author of Percutaneous Coronary Intervention Guideline and a past president of the Society of Cardiovascular Angiography and Interventions. Welcome, Dr. Feldman. Great to be here. Today we are discussing percutaneous aortic valve replacement. Dr. Feldman, in the introduction we talked about, 200,000 patients per year are not receiving aortic valve replacement because of risks, refusal of surgery, and comorbidities. Well, what are the typical trade-offs of not going under a valve replacement when one is actually needed? The natural history of aortic valve stenosis is exceedingly well-defined, and the annual mortality for patients, once they've developed symptoms of either syncope, heart failure, or angina, approaches anywhere between 10 and 30 percent. So the progress of the disease is inexorable and the outcome pretty clear for those patients who can't be operated on. And what's the most common cause of aortic stenosis? The most common cause numerically has been bicuspid congenital aortic stenosis, but now as we have an aging population, we're seeing a rapidly growing cohort of patients with senile calcific AS. When patients have aortic stenosis, do they have other valvular disease or coronary artery disease? The association of coronary disease with aortic stenosis is the incidence of coronary disease in the general population. So about half the people with aortic valve stenosis will have important enough coronary disease to be revascularized if they have aortic valve surgery. Other valve lesions depend on the state of the disease and are secondary. So mitral regurgitation from left ventricular dilatation or tricuspid regurgitation from pulmonary hypertension associated with heart failure are also very common. Why does aortic valve disease, as compared to the other valvular diseases, pose such high risk for the patient in terms of morbidity and mortality? It is the nature of the disease. Obstruction to outflow out of the aortic valve limits in an absolute way, in the way that uh, a dam limits the flow of a river, uh, cardiac output, so that once people have symptoms, they have exceeded their ability to compensate for this limited cardiac output, and that means inadequate coronary perfusion and inadequate cardiac output, and those are lethal. Is this a relatively rapid progression from mild symptoms to severe symptoms? Well, fortunately, sudden death is not that common. Certainly it can happen, but it's not that common with aortic stenosis. So this tends to be a very steady, inexorable progression. But even so, once patients particularly develop heart failure, uh, you don't always have a uh, very large time window to treat them. 
Well, when do you decide that they need some type of intervention with aortic valve disease? Generally, the clear indication for valve replacement in good candidates for that therapy is the onset of symptoms, and that could be either syncope or presyncope signs of heart failure or full-blown heart failure or angina due to diminished coronary perfusion. What makes a patient who needs some sort of intervention on the aortic valve high risk? The same things that make patients high risk for any other form of surgery. And what are those, sir? Yeah, the most common causes of comorbidity are advanced age, that is age beyond 80, in association with any other major risk. So the more common problems that I see are prior cardiac operations where a reoperation would carry increased risk, and then things like chronic lung disease, renal insufficiency, and what most people, I think, refer to as the look test, the patients who are frail or who don't look well, in whom the surgeon feels the potential for a protracted surgical recovery is going to be a problem. Generally speaking, in the United States, is aortic valve intervention the most common valvular disease operated on? Aortic valve replacement is far and away the most common valve replacement surgery. Mitral repair for mitral insufficiency in association with coronary disease uh, is almost as frequently performed. But in terms of valve replacement, there's no question that the aortic valve is the most common operation. If you are just joining us, you are listening to a special series exploring heart health on the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Ted Feldman, Director of the Cardiac Catheterization Laboratory and Interventional Cardiology Chair at Evanston Northwestern Healthcare. We are discussing percutaneous aortic valve replacement. Dr. Feldman, how difficult an operation is it to replace the aortic valve? Do you mean surgically or percutaneously? Well, let's first start with surgically. Aortic valve replacement surgery uh, may be the best operation that cardiovascular surgery has developed. How's that? The benefits are unequivocal, and that is, among good candidates for surgery, relief of symptoms and prolonged life, and that's a pretty powerful uh, combination of benefits. And this is with an operation that can be performed in good candidates with a hospital mortality of a couple of percent, and by the standards of a sternotomy, a relatively rapid recovery, that is a few weeks. This changes greatly in the elderly, where in the octogenarian population, the risks of Procedure death go up substantially. The potential for prolonged hospitalization or need for discharge to a rehab facility or nursing home are high. And then probably worst from the patient's standpoint, the risk of stroke or TIA ranges between about 8 and 15%. And then how would you approach those patients? Well, those elderly patients with the high comorbidities in the past had only two options, and that was medical therapy, which is effectively no therapy at all. Why do you say that, sir? Uh, there's beyond limited ability to treat heart failure in the aortic stenosis population. You're dealing with a mechanical defect, and diuresis for heart failure in this group usually just creates uh, hypotension or prerenal azotemia. That is, they just get too dry, 
and the other sorts of heart failure medicines that involve vasodilator therapy can lead to very abrupt hypotension in the aortic stenosis population. So medical therapy is tremendously limited. So then what would you do? The only other option we've had since the mid-1980s is balloon valvuloplasty. That's had limited application because it's a very technically challenging procedure to do, and there's no clear mortality benefit from valvuloplasty. That is, it is palliative. So then, what is using percutaneous aortic valve replacement? Well, people started thinking about ways to replace heart valves using catheter therapy as early as the 1960s and developed prototype valves in the early 1990s. And the earliest prototypes were tissue valve leaflets from porcine heart valves hand-sewn on balloon-expandable stents as stent therapy was just getting off the ground in the early 90s. And how was that done? So the very first prototypes were handmade, literally sewing uh, leaflets onto a stent, mounting the stent on a balloon, and in an animal model, using the balloon to deliver the stent into the aortic root. What were the results of those? Well, those were sort of of proof-of-concept efforts, and in the early 90s, it was demonstrated that it could be done. And then subsequently, a couple of very dedicated investigators, particularly Alain Cribier from Rouen, France, kind of stayed with it and kept iterating the devices to the point that a prosthesis that could be implanted in, in a human finally was developed just after 2000. And has this actually been done? This has not only been done, but at this point been done in several hundred patients around the world. Well, tell us, how do you approach the aortic valve percutaneously? We have a large experience with crossing and dilating the aortic valve with balloons dating back to the mid-1980s. So the, the basic techniques remain sort of standard tried and true catheterization approaches. From the femoral artery, a catheter is passed retrograde against blood flow to the aortic root, and it's possible to get a guide wire across the stenotic aortic valve orifice into the left ventricle and over that guide wire to deliver a variety of catheters or balloons. And then how does a valve get placed there? The valve is, uh, we're using in a trial here in the United States, is mounted on a balloon expandable stent. So it's, at this point, pericardial tissue that is the standard tissue for tissue valves. That's mounted on a stent. The stent is crimped on a balloon. And then the balloon is passed retrograde through the aorta, positioned in the stenotic valve, and then inflated so that the stent expands, releasing the leaflets into a functional position. Can you always expand the diseased aortic root? The first step in the procedure as we perform it today is to open the valve with a valvuloplasty balloon without a stent. And that serves two purposes. One is to be sure that the valve, in fact, will expand, which is almost always possible. And then secondly, to make room for passage of the stent-mounted prosthesis. And by the way, when you do this procedure, what type of anesthesia is the patient undergoing? 
Well, that's a great question. Most catheterization procedures are done with local anesthesia. This is a substantial enough effort, and particularly because of the vascular access, that general anesthesia is used. So is this done in an operating room? Well, that's another place where our world is changing rapidly. This is typically done in a cath lab or in a hybrid room, which is an operating room that has the full cath lab kind of x-ray setup in place. I want to thank Dr. Ted Feldman, who has been our guest. We have been discussing percutaneous aortic valve replacement. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to a special series exploring heart health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thank you for listening.